commentary and, and reaction. All right, we're recording. We are recording. Episode yes, are. number one of the Football Intellectual Podcast. It's lit, baby. Let's go. <laughs> what a great weekend of fixtures to do it with, to be honest. Like, probably the most interesting weekend so far. I don't know. The 17th. I don't know. That's, yeah. I don't know. Last weekend was uh, pretty good too. I mean, it pre pre international break six one Spurs United seven two Liverpool, um, and a few other exciting results on that re- that weekend as well. So I think the Prem this season has just been full of surprises. Um, I think could be a could be due to no fans because fans keep games a little bit more at bay. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and things can get out of hand without the fans, but um, it was definitely a really Really exciting weekend and uh, a shakeup in the title race. Dude, I fucking hate international breaks. I'm going to be honest. Oh, so annoying. Injuries, COVID, they ruin the flow of the, of the league, in my opinion. I mean, normally I can, I can deal with it, but like right now they just add more, they just add more uh, difficulty than anything else, to be honest. All right. I, I think um, with internationals right now, it, they, they just need to, the, the governing bodies of football need to take a look at themselves and a look at their schedules that they've set up for internationals and just take their pride out of the equation. And I don't know if it's possible, but take the money out of the equation Avenue, yeah. and just only have what you need for international tourneys, qualifying games, and the friendlies just can go. You, we don't need players traveling. Nations League is pointless. Nations, Nations League, fr- just friendlies in general. Like just, you know, when you have a player traveling yeah, Mexico playing an African nation in a friendly, it's like, bro, what's the point? In Asia, like it's yeah, it's just weird. All right. Anyway, starting with the prem because that's what this ma- is mainly on. Uh, the Merseyside derby, actually close to your heart because you're a Liverpool fan. Yes. So, what do we think? Just well, make some thoughts out there. I'm gonna give a bit of a rundown of the game. Oh. Um. It, the, it was packed with, uh, with action. So Liverpool started the game extremely um, with, with rapid pace. Uh, they were determined. You could tell they were dead serious on winning the game. You guys and looked, it looked like having one of those games where you fucking annihilate a team. Like, it looked like in that first 10 minutes, it looked like we were just so focused and scored, scored a beautiful team goal um, through Mane, uh, which was started on the right-hand side. I think Trent was involved. Tiago was involved. One-two with Salah. Salah had a um, chip over to Robertson. Robertson dinked it around Coleman, uh, ran the other way. Classic Robertson move. Really simple move, but he has the pace to, to get away with that. And then oh, Bravo, yeah. um, Bravo. And then Mane was just there for that uh, top net finish. So it was a really, really nice goal. And after, after they scored that, and I think it was you know within the first 10 minutes, it might have been the eighth minute or around there. I was thinking, okay, Liverpool look look dead set to just go on, score two more this half, and then, you know, get a clean win. Um, and then the uh, Van Dyke-Pickford incident happened. It was only and 10 minutes in. It was in the ninth minute. Yeah, it was in the ninth minute. So what happened was, if you didn't watch the game, and I'm sure many people who are listening to this probably saw the incident, but um, it was a corner uh, set-piece situation. And the ball ended up um, looping toward the back post where Van Dyke was making a late run, uh, trying to probably set it back into the middle for one of the Liverpool strikers to finish off. 
Um, Pickford, uh, always the quick thinker, let's say, um, but doesn't always think those things through. Uh, he just went in straight with a scissoring neat, like scissoring tackle with one of his legs outstretched, one of his legs bent, flying through the air. Um, Van Dyke going at full speed, Pickford going at full speed. He catches Van Dyke as Van Dyke takes a right, his right step down um, and his leg locks because it's planted. That's when Pickford hits him right in the knee. So Van Dyke hyperextends his knee, um, rolls over. You can see he's in immediate pain. And it turned out that he had torn his ACL uh, due to Pickford's challenge. So because it was offside, marginally another another line decision you know off on his elbow or his shoulder controversial bit too the acl injury is it's bad but the, the controversy came because pickford didn't get a red because the play had already finished before he made the challenge so the rep mm -hmm. basically copped out because it was a very contested decision either way mm -hmm. ref at the time because it was a it was a heated first 10 minutes already he was like all right i'm going to avoid the conflict and i'm not even going to have a have judgment on this because it wasn't during the play. So honestly, I think for most decisions, that's actually a fine way to go as a ref because like, I don't know, over officiating is worse than under officiating in my opinion, but I don't know. I think he, I think the ref had to read the room a, a lot better where you can see that Van Dyke simply going for the ball came out of that uh, altercation, very injured clearly injured after three seconds um and pickford was way out of way out of line in my opinion he didn't he wasn't the goal wasn't in immediate danger uh the ball wasn't it's not like van dyke has a high probability of lashing that in from a really tight angle into the top netting a la you know landon donovan or something like that um yeah you say i like that uh so it, it's just like you have to wonder what was Pickford thinking, and I. It, what it seemed to me is that he let his emotions overtake his, his you know critical decision making, and just he's very manic goalkeeper. He's very manic. Yeah, he he's never been one to really like keep his head. He he if he makes a mistake, you can see on his face he freaks out, and he gets really mad. And uh, I think he was trying to take preemptive action in this game. Not that he was trying to injure Van Dyke, but he was trying to make a statement, show the Liverpool players that I'm not going to be messed with. So he makes this weird decision to come out of his goal, come off his line and try to, again, go in with his legs instead of his hands where he can catch the ball. He goes in with his legs, which doesn't okay, make thing. much I'm sense sure to me. Everyone listening to this saw the incident. We don't need to explain what happened. We need to explain what it means. So my question is what it means. Well, we'll get to – what Liverpool will do without Van Dyke in a second. But I want to ask you. You can't talk about this game for the whole pod. <laughs> just one question. Just one question. Um, do you think that the refs would have reacted differently if it was not Jordan Pickford? If it was not Jordan Pickford? I don't know about not Jordan Pickford because he gets demonized a good amount. By the media, by refs, he doesn't get punches pulled. If it was Keppa, <laughs> if it was Keppa, maybe a card would have been thrown his way. If it was like, hmm, who do you think is the like the if most it was a, craziest goalkeeper? Um, I have I have memories of uh, Vincente Guaita from Watford. Guaita, not on Watford, on Palace, but yeah, on yeah. Palace. Yeah, yeah. Or um, I think I'm I think I'm mistaking him Rayler, for uh, Rayler Gomez. Yes, and he was always he was. 
he got called a few times, Aurelio Gomez, for, uh, you know, yeah, I don't similar know. things. Even Yoris, sometimes Yoris makes a bit of a rash decision or two. Honestly, good question. I don't know. Keppa definitely would have gotten a card. Um, I don't know, though. I think it's more about the ref than the keeper in question. I think the refs need to take more responsibility in that uh, situation. And it's so strange when they're calling yellow cards for, you know, a simple push in the back in midfield and then the players going at pace and the player who got, and the player who got fouled in that, in this midfield scenario, you know, they're going at pace, they fall and that's a yellow card on Paul Pogba, for example, that happens a lot to him or or, um, Fabinho. But then you have something so blatant that in the box and simply because it was like a weird, VAR offside, it's just you don't even consider it. And then the retrospective action, they didn't take any action against him, kind of sets a, a, a poor precedent that, you know, keepers just have even more protection in the game. And I feel like their keepers are already favored a lot. Keepers are protected. Uh, but oh. but I want to ask, what do you think um, – and so we don't take too long on this game. Yeah. Uh, without Van Dyke for the foreseeable six to seven months, so majority of this season um, – what, where do you think Liverpool's strategy is going to change on their yeah. on the formation and uh, how they play? Um, you brought this up earlier. We, we talked about it a bit earlier. Basically, low-key, Van Dyke is huge. He's huge for them. But I think that losing Allison would be worse because I think center-back-wise, Gomez and Matip are still high Premier League quality, and they still can get the job done more often than not on their own. Maybe that'll take away from your fullback creativity. Maybe you'll have to protect them more with the midfield. But I think there are ways that you can accommodate the Van Dyke loss in a way that you wouldn't be able to accommodate Allison being out for eight months because you'd have Adrian up in there for for six months. That's, that would be a serious, serious, serious problem. Van Dyke is a bad – it's an issue. But I think there are ways that tactically you can kind of make up for it, and it may take away from your attacking prowess – or it may take away from you being able to shut teams out so consistently. But I think it'll be doable. And I don't think it will be as much of a huge issue as people are making it out to be, even though his, his value to the team is obviously – he's invaluable. He's, he's that important for you guys. I think there will be mm-hmm. – get over it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And I think Liverpool will surprise um, the, the average spectator – who's writing them off now that they don't have Van Dyke saying that they're, you know, you know, barely going to finish top four. And it's like, mm. you have to remember, this is Jurgen Klopp. And um, besides Van Dyke, they did strengthen in key areas this summer by signing Thiago, by signing Jota, by uh, getting Menemino last January and Simikas at left back. Yeah. So now you, you have abilities to maybe, um, you know, you have Matip and you have Gomez in the center of defense. Well, at center back. You have Fabinho now who can fill in at center back and Tiago to fill in in Fabinho's role. Yeah, I um, think you have Milner gets more minutes either way because James Milner will get more minutes. Hendo more at center mid. They need another fitness center mid. Milner will be slotting in and all that. And you might even see Liverpool. Um, Jurgen Klopp has never been a big proponent of a five back or a three back. I don't think he would play a five. I think he might play a wing back system and maybe try it. Um, maybe with uh, Fabinho back there or. Um, you know, Robertson, he might have more defensive duties now, you know, lay back a little more. And because Trent's never been the one to really, you know, Trent. be sticking, sticking back. Yeah, he's never so, about staying back. He always has a midfielder babysitting. And I think we, uh, we also might see 
Um, I was I was saying this to you before we uh, recorded the pod, but back in eighteen nineteen and seventeen eighteen, when Liverpool um, didn't have Van Dyke, they were playing a much more counterattacking style, a bit comparable to um, oh, Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Arsenal, right? And I, I, I'm sure you don't want to remember, but remember the um, Salah goal against Arsenal when Bayerine came yeah. and missed yeah. the header, and then like. The two goals against West Ham, where Cham- Oxley Chamberlain, Mane, and Salah just right. broke at pace we and we were possible to stop. Because we've only talked about Liverpool so far, and we're yeah. overdoing the game already. Everton got a point they probably shouldn't have deserved, to be honest, but it's still a point against the champions when you haven't lost the game yet. This mm-hmm. this point, that decision at the end of the game, more referee controversy, basically. Everton are still riding very strong and like mentally getting a point from that game is huge for them. I think like they didn't even play a bad game. They didn't play a great game, but they played to their strengths. They're great on set pieces. Michael Keane got a goal. He's scoring all the time. Calvert-Lewin got a goal. Hamas got his assist. Like they still are, they're definitely on the up. And I think if you guys had won, it would have been a chance to really peng them down a notch and be like, you, you just pipe down Everton. Like, yeah anywhere but them getting a point from it is like hugely empowering for them so i think it'll be interesting to see how each team plays their next game because i think this was psychologically for you guys definitely psychologically it's a loss even if point wise it isn't and for them it's psychologically a win anyway uh well if i if i may comment on everton i think even though they deserve um they deserve a lot of uh, conversation about them. They've started the season brilliantly, but I think a lot of people are refraining from talking about them and, and hyping them up and, um, you know, really lifting them to the forefront of the conversation because for the past, you know, two decades, Everton have been very inconsistent. And uh, this season, it seems to be different. They have great manager, great new players, revamped midfield and uh, seems like a whole new level of team of belief in themselves um, against Liverpool, they did what they had to do, played, you know, played with their hearts, uh, got goals, recognized weaknesses. Van Dyke went off. Keane scores a header on a corner. Mm-hmm. Who knows if he, if Van Dyke was still on, maybe that doesn't happen, but they knew that um, they had opportunities there. Oh, yeah. uh, Calvert-Lewin, very informed. He's probably going to continue his form for a little while longer. So. And um, I think I, I, re- I refrain from commenting too much on Everton I think they still need to prove themselves over the next maybe four more games if they can get 10 games in the prem and with only one or two losses then people are going to start considering them okay maybe they can they can finish top four but because of the bottling nature of their team in the past 10 years uh I think everyone's like all right you know Everton they they are very hot or cold and they're hot right now we need to see if they have a cold this season if they don't have much cold this season or they only cool down a little bit and then can co- can go back to a hot streak, then people are going to be like, okay, they have a legit team. We need to stay. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think if if a team like Chelsea had the start that Everton had, everyone would be like they're winning the league. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true. And then um, that's because Chelsea have, you know, over the past 10 years been yeah, proven they've, to – We've done decent things. Anyway uh... – It'll be interesting to see how both teams progress. We need to move on to the next game. And speaking of Chelsea, Chelsea Southampton, three mm. Kepa Howler. Chelsea attack firing well, but the defense is still like way out of sorts. So, so it's looking like Werner uh, got off the mark, and he's he, it never was really a doubt yeah, that he was going to be as you know I I don't think anyone really doubted that Werner was going to 
find his feet in the prem um, in a new competition. And he's doing that. He had two game, uh, two goals in the game, um, a few pieces of brilliant skill, especially on the second goal, I believe, where he, yeah. you know, he had three three key actions where he bodied his defender as a as a as a smaller guy, bodied his defender, chipped um, their keeper, and then headed it yeah. into the goal at the end, which is just like the quick thinking needed in that moment is really impressive. Um, yeah. He's doing great. He's combining with Havertz well. I really like how Havertz. Um, he still has, I mean, he's scoring goals and he still has level. You can see he still has levels to improve and he can definitely hit, hit higher peaks of his and consistencies, but the way he strides across the pitch so elegantly, I, I just like re- watching him move because he seems to be so calm and like, he's a tall guy up front, but he has so much agility as well. So he's very interesting. Pulisic, um, you know, he seems to be picking up where he left off. He had a great game. He had a great uh, setup for their third goal. Yeah. Only thing with Pulisic is I really hope he can stay uh, injury-free because he seems to have some some things that will keep biting him, his hamstring, I think. Yeah. and um, Some problems that don't just go away. Yeah. Yeah, so he needs to really get over those and um, put them in his past because if those, if those tail him his entire career or for the next season or two, it's going to be difficult for him to get any consistent runs. And in that Chelsea front line, if you aren't consistent, you can easily be replaced. Yeah. Um, for Southampton, I think another, another year where they're just underratedly strong um, and with an amazing oh, manager. Thing, they're very good, but their defense is still shite. Like, not shite. I mean, shite might be an overstatement, but, like, the organi- they're dope – they're organized and they have a good attack. They have a, one of the best scorers in the league. And like Theo Walcott looked good. Redmond's been good. I like Redmond. Ward Prowse looked decent. Both fullbacks, Kyle Walker-Peters and Bertrand are both quality. But the center backs were so out of sorts. Maybe that's just Chelsea's front line's quality. But dude, they were piss poor for that first half. I didn't notice much about the center backs except, okay, they made a few mistakes, but I think Chelsea's quality was really more powerful than the, than like the dip in, it's not like Southampton center backs were poor. They were, they didn't have an amazing game. They were probably average on the day and Chelsea's attack is just strong where I think Southampton need to refresh their team is the left side. I think Ryan Bertrand and Nathan Redmond are just. Bertrand's class. Redmond, to be honest, I don't. Drift centrally. Bertrand. To be honest, as I was watching the game, I, f- I thought they both looked a bit a bit leggy, uh, didn't have much energy, didn't have much explosiveness. Um, not to comment on bodies, but they both seemed a little bloated uh, and they couldn't really like keep up with the pace of Werner, the pace of Pulisic. Like those are extremely fast players. You have Reese James, or he wasn't starting the game. He wasn't starting the game. So they had Aspilicueta. Aspilicueta had um, a great game. He had a great game. I mean, that's their captain. And that's their stalwart. He's going to be, he's going to be good most of the time. But I think like on that left side, they have a new winger. Um, I, his name is escaping me, but when he came on, he was pretty dynamic and young, but I think that's, that's the area where Southampton are going to need to refresh over the next two seasons or so. Maybe next summer, get a, get a new uh, left back to give Ryan Bertrand some competition because he's been a starter for them for years. And I think he's, um, he's getting a little stale there and he's getting a, a bit found out. Yeah, I don't know. I really rate Bertrand, to be honest. And also, I think his defensive side is really uh, not talked about enough. 
because he's very, very solid in that regard as well. I'm trying to find the, uh, their new signing. Something about Southampton is that they seem to be a sneaky team that um, even if they go behind, they have, a, they have that fire in them, and they can come and hit you with goals like out of nowhere. Ings has been uh, proven. Huh? I don't know if they have a new winger. They put on Ibrahima Diallo, he's a midfielder, and Nathan Tella, he's a midfielder. They have Walcott. Nathan Tella. All right. They have, well, they did get – But, all right. Uh, he's a young player. Walcott, yeah. good pickup. Um, seem, I think they needed someone like Walcott to – Good for them, yo. I think if you bring, put – Yeah, I agree. Bring pace. Uh, he is he's a quality player, and even though people have their criticisms, maybe Southampton is the team where he'll feel comfortable enough to – uh, We'll feel Make like something happen. Small pond, and the the confidence will help him. Anyway, we need to move on. But great point for Southampton. Really piss poor point for Chelsea. One at home when they really should be winning that game, especially when you score three gold. City Arsenal next. Speaking of high scoring games, not one at all. Absolutely piss poor as far as entertainment value. Let's just be honest here. Like boring game to watch. You know what? I think that as as. Arsenal have been raising their level steadily over the past year, uh, especially since Arteta came in and he started to imprint his idea of the team and, you know, get a few signings that he wanted, use the players that he wanted. And, and after teaching them a bit of a new role, um, he had to, I think he had to teach a lot of players a, a, a revamped, you know, in, impression of the role that they play and way different than like yes the their role much different than corresponds to the structure yeah it's clear to see that he has a way clearer idea of uh what he wants his players to do than unai emery even though unai emery had his idea in his head he couldn't really communicate that to players and you could see that the players were not on the same wavelength as they seem to be much better understanding under um arteta though in this in this game, um, I think Arsenal were a bit too tame and a bit too reserved, um, too scared of City. To be honest, they were they'd beaten City before. Uh, they've beaten City recently, and I think they were too afraid of some type of City explosion from two years ago or three years ago when they were blowing most teams out by five goals. And comparatively as Arsenal have raised their level and are slowly becoming a more formidable side, City have quietly been dropping their level for a little while. And I think no, a lot of quiet, the two games well, they had before they need, okay, continue. They, they had two well, games before this one. This is the thing. It's uh, people are noticing, but not many people are willing to say City have dropped the level there. Most people are still saying it's City and Liverpool for the title. No questions asked. It's one of those two. And I don't think even really I, think City are in that bracket. Like, I agree at the, with you. They're not in the same. They're not in the same. They're bracket. not on that same consistency plane right now. Without De Bruyne, without a strong left back. When Aguero uh, only half fit half the time. Half fit. Um, forward line not consistently delivering. Even Sterling isn't on the same form he was maybe a year and a half ago. Um, he was, play. you know, Ronaldo should play because he had a great game actually against us. And Pep Pep made some comments uh, about Bernardo saying he needed time to re recover his mental he's strength. Fatigued, yeah, which is fair play. That's uh, fair. Um, and he's back, but he, the I don't know. 
You know, I think one of the biggest changes to this city side is just the solidity that they had with Fernandinho and company um, in the spine, which were were just almost impassable. Though company had a lot of injury problems, he was – when he was there, he was there. And you would not be getting past him very often. Uh, And Fernandinho in front of that was just really strong. And I I don't think Rodri is – is anywhere near Fernandinho's level. And I think even trying to slot him in there at the base of that three in midfield has just made them weaker for the past two seasons flat out. And I think he's – Rodri is just overrated. I really don't – I don't think he's much of a – he's much of a city quality player for the amount that they can spend and what they were – the standards they were setting for, um, you know, not this past year, but the two years before. The nations they set, they're, he's not there. I so agree with that, bro. I so agree. Rodri's crap. <laughs> I so He's one of their weakest things. I, I know. And I was saying this last year even, but I had people who were like, nah, he's class. Just wait and see. Waited a whole season. Didn't get any better. He can't keep up defensively. And that's his job. The thing is, uh, yeah, he's but behind the pace. He's the insurance policy for that city team where everyone else's job, pretty much besides the center backs, is to ruthlessly attack and to be pounding on the door of the other team. His job is the stopper, the insurance policy, and he can't even do that properly well. Fernandinho. He seems. Well, the man. thing about Rodri is that he seems a little too fixated on being part of that attack and being like bouncing passes and like be, doing playing small ball and um, you know really quick passes. But Fernandinho huh? was doing that. Fernandinho was getting on the ball so much, but he was still but not, a defensive man. The thing about the Fernandinho is he would do it, but only. He wouldn't do it all the time. Yeah. Rodri is trying to do it all the time. He's always trying to be like Fernandinho when needed wouldn't lie on the edge of the opponent's box. He would drop ten yards, yeah. fifteen yards deeper, and just be waiting for a for a potential counter. And then found Rodri is, and Rodri is usually always right there trying to be p- p- making passes with Bernardo and De Bruyne, and it's it's just making me ask the question: If you want De Bruyne with full creative freedom and you want Phil Foden or Bernardo Silva with full creative freedom, you need Rodri to just stay back. But he doesn't have the pace to deal with someone like Aubameyang, Willian, Saka, um, Pepe, Saka. Saka. Saka, the- Saka was his man this game, and Saka turned him every single time. Every single speaking of Speaking of Bukayo Saka, and very imp- player on the field, for sure. Very impressive player. Um, in terms of his – just the way he carries himself, he reminds me of Sadio Mane, where he just seems so focused on the game, and that's the only thing that's that's in his head. He never seems to get flustered. He never seems to let the pressure get to him. He has such a cool head, and for it a 19-year-old... Rattled. Mane will get rattled, bro. Mane gets rattled. Like, Mane will make a, you know, a defender. Well, he does. But, well, Mane is an aggressive player, but the, what I'm saying about Sadio Mane is that he never will throw a tantrum or or hang his head. Mane will play with a hundred percent intensity and focus. Mane will play with a hundred percent intensity and focus, um, no matter what's happening in the game. And he will give everything. And I think Sokka is going to become that player too. Physically, you can tell he has pace. He has. He's going to bulk up. He has power. Definitely. I would say one of the most exciting young players uh, in the Prem right now. He was the only positive for Arsenal, um, and obviously not many positives. But, yeah, to recap this game, because we're going to move on to the next one. Basically, both teams look defensive. Oh, bro, Ruben Diaz was so good. Ruben Ruben Diaz Diaz was great. Oh, good. Dude. And that – 
that's the thing about a center back is that we didn't even have to mention him. And uh, that's how you know he did a good job. Because he just shut everything down. He's well up to par for the Prem. On the ball, class. And then positionally, he was very good that game. Like, he looked like a good signing. He looks like he might be City's best defensive signing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, City. Laporte, I don't even rate that highly. People will kill me for saying that. People will kill me for saying that. There's nothing about Laporte that's ever be that important. He's too he's injured too often, and so even when he does have his good run, he they City gets fucked because he gets injured two games later, and then they have three important games without him. And what's he gonna do? He can't do shit. Yeah, there's nothing about Laporte that has ever stood out to me and showed me that he's next level. Um, which a lot of people think he is, but I, as I've watched him, he's never had just because he a moment City because they dominate so much. It's like, oh, their center back, their best center back on paper must be a great player because they dominate so much, bro. Well, you know, P- Otamendi and John Stones played for City too, and people, you know, slated them. Mangala when he played, played for them, them slated them. Season. Otamendi had Otamendi had good seasons at City, Ota but he had some inconsistencies season. too. And Sheridan, he was there. We're not talking about Ake, who had a really good game. Uh, he's physically unbelievable. He's he's huge, oh. fast, smart. He's a great player. Center back or left back? Ake was playing um, left center back, I believe. He's playing center back. That interesting. Yeah, Ake looked like another very good signing. City might defensively. Had, I don't know. Rudy they had Cancelo on the left and uh, Walker on the right. Cancelo on the left. Cancelo was actually doing some crazy cool stuff where he was coming central. And that was working for them, kind of. Either well, way, we know that Pep likes to use his his left backer, whichever is the less defensive of his fullbacks, as they a kind of drifting ten. As when they get up, they become a like a number ten type role. The winners can go really wide around the eighteen. Yeah. Um, and then I think uh, Arsenal's other standout player was Gabriel, who even though they did get scored on, but he pretty much kept people quiet for the entire game and. Um, no fuss, no nonsense. He was he was solid. Yeah, Gabriel was dope. One on one, great player. Anyway, uh, disappointing for Arsenal, but at the end of the day, not the worst results to get against City away. And the levels are clearly kind of evening out. City, I think the is attacking wise still have work to do. Um, yeah, so let's move. I think on. Arsenal will Arsenal will take confidence from that game, and they they'll know that they could have won. They'll know that if they did that, if they were a bit more aggressive and threw a bit more caution to the wind they could have won. But another day, and it'll happen. They were a bit abysmal, but yeah. Uh, anyway, United-Newcastle, probably not going to talk too much about this one. I barely watched it. You barely watched it, I know. Um, basically, Newcastle, I like Newcastle as a team. I think they have some games where they're phenomenal, but they also have some games where they just drop off. The thing is that the team, Newcastle, they'll drop off because they mostly play bigger sides. So they drop mm-hmm. off, and they wait to see if those sides make mistakes they can capitalize on. United, they didn't really make many mistakes. Um, they had a pretty good game for their standards. McGuire had a good game. And then when their attack is firing and they're countering well, which they were, they'll score. I think what I wanted to bring up was that Mata started the game. Their lineup to start was actually a bit weird. Not really what it was. It was Fred, McTominay, Mata, uh, Rashford, and then some other geese. Pogba and Matic were on the bench. Pogba and Matic um, on the bench. Pretty sure. One thing I – I saw people on Twitter making memes about, uh, oh, oh, this is Ole's, like, you know. Games started. Saying saying that, like, this is Ole's last laugh before he gets sacked. But my, I didn't watch much of the game, but I did, um, I did read about it. And, you know, this season, 
I think scores are – you can't take them into account as much. So it's a 4-1, and you might say that's a drubbing, but they scored all four of those goals in the second half and three of them uh, in the last 10 minutes. Uh, Bruno Fernandez uh, again, got a penalty. Heard it, I heard it was really soft, and I believe it because he's uh, he goes down extremely easily. He missed the pen. And I respect that game, but he looks for pens. He does. He looks for pens, uh, but then he did score another goal from open play. Uh, his first goal from open play probably in a while, yeah. uh, or at least one of the rare ones. You know, and it is what it is. But I think that, you know, United are very inconsistent still. And even though they got a win against Newcastle um, – they, they still – it's not like this is going to be the turnaround. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said that this is the start of their season, the real start of their season. But Ole is – he gives a lot of lip service, to be honest. And he he's always trying to spin everything in a positive way, but he'll never really be realistic to the press. So I will never, you know, take what he says. He, he just tries to spin everything and just sound way too positive about everything. Newcastle – he tries to hide stuff that's going on behind the scenes because we know United yeah, but, behind the scenes is fucked. It's just a yeah. Um, and Newcastle, you know, they're they're actually a quality team. People calling for Bruce out. Uh, Bruce doesn't need to go. They're fine. They're they have you know really good players uh, in certain areas of the pitch. And I think all they need is a bit more chemistry and a bit more uh you know a. Like just let them get into the flow, and they will. Um, they'll they'll shock some teams. Yeah. On that note, Newcastle. Really quick before we move on, Newcastle. I don't think that this game means that they're gonna have a bad season. I think they're gonna be actually have a pretty decent season. Mm-hmm. Callum Wilson will score a lot of goals, and I think their style of pouncing on mistakes when other teams make them will be even more mm-hmm. effective because they have a proven goal scorer up top. Yeah. So I also, we got we got um eight minutes. So yeah. So I also don't think United is gonna be doing that dope because. I don't, I don't think this game will mean they're not inconsistent for the rest of the year. Anyway, now, Spurs-West Ham. Spurs-West Ham. So, um, I watched the first half of this, and then I caught up on the second half after. But I watched the first half, and I saw another Kane uh, beautiful assist. It seems like Harry Kane has a lot more license to just drop deep and make things happen. His passing range is unbelievable. First in the first half, we were all prisoners of the moment there. I especially was. Yo. I was, I was, as an Arsenal fan, I was scared as hell. I was just, uh, I knew they have the quality. I know Kane and Son are both like world beaters on their day. They really are. But when they're making it happen, three goals in 10 minutes against the side, that's in form. West Ham's doing well. I was like, nah. Well, the it's thing was about. Serious. That's what I. West Ham, have, West Ham have scored a lot this season and uh, beaten some some pretty interesting teams like Everton. Uh, they beat Everton, I think, 4-2, and then they beat Leicester 3-0. But, Everton? Um, yeah, in the FA Cup. Oh, FA Cup. Um, they did score four against uh, against Everton. And it was a pretty strong Everton side. But uh, Tottenham, really strong. I mean, they, strength, they didn't lose any key players, and they strengthened in all the right areas. They have great depth up top um, with Bergwijn, now Bale, Lamella, Deli Ali, Son, Lucas, Kane. That's like silently a great. They have they have about seven class players up top. Hoiberg strengthens their midfield and defense. They have Reguillon to strengthen the left side, and Reguillon looks really great right now. Reguillon looks really good, and um, Daugherty and uh, Arie with a little bit of competition between them seems to have both raised their level. Larice obviously is still good, so 
I think the thing about Tottenham is that people are – I think people are overrating their, their second half and that collapse. I, I, and I'm doing air quotes right now, collapse. Um, because, okay, the first one is a set-piece goal, and it's a good header. Sissoko doesn't jump very high, and um, the West Ham attacker – Cresswell put in a great ball, and Balbuena got a good head to it. Nice. Yes, yeah, so it was a good header, and you know I don't think Spurs at that moment really were panicking. I think it was just damn, we conceded a goal. They should have scored more before, and when they put Bale on, I don't think it's not like Bale has to score. He does, it's it's not like he's the but they they over the course of the game from the minute fifteen to minute eighty, I'm sure they had multiple chances to make it four or five, and they didn't. Uh, which maybe, but not they probably West they Ham might have not very good after the first three goals, which was the interesting bit. Yeah, and they might not have been taking the game as, as seriously as uh, Spurs as they should have after they scored three goals, maybe thinking that, you know, because of their past few games and how many goals they've scored, they would just come. But um, I think then you have Davinson Sanchez with a fluke own goal. Um, it's not like you can really blame anybody for that. He just – obviously he didn't mean to do it, uh, but that will have a big effect on, you know, their mentality. And then Lanzini with a worldie from 35 yards. So – it's just well, that's football. Like West Ham football. definitely didn't deserve to get a point from that game. I don't think, but don't they pushed him. They pushed and pushed, and they got it. I don't think in terms of overall play, they they really deserved a point. I think but from they got it. football point of view, where it's like, oh, which goals are dope? Like really deserve, quote unquote, to be scored. Sure, Kane and Sons. Yeah, they're more a bit more like run a play, like non fluky. But dude, West Ham. I th- I th- I don't think. I think they played a great game in the first half after they conceded three. I think those three took them so much by surprise because of the sheer quality of them that they were like, oh, shit. They picked themselves up well. They played well. And then they, their mental fortitude saw them through. And even no matter what you say about Spurs, dude, they buckled in the last 10 minutes hard. Like, they, their game managed bad, bro. It's same I don't... piece. That Cresswell set piece, they scored the first time. They gave it away again, and that's how Lanzini scored the long shot, even if it was Well, that was a bit of a soft foul that the ref called on Aria. Very soft on the on that same side. And I think Aria, you could see on his face, he was like, are you serious? And I, when I saw the replay, I, I agreed it was pretty soft. But I, I'm not saying the ref was biased, but maybe he wanted to just like, okay, give him a chance or something. I don't think it was something that would have been a foul in yeah. – Every time it's not a hundred percent foul. It's just a decision based on the ref. Um, sure. Yeah. You could, you could say that they shouldn't even letting be uh, letting West Ham be close to their goal. And then Davidson Sanchez wouldn't have scored an own goal, but West Ham, they, they're, they're quality and they have quality up top and they have quality up around the pitch. Can, right back, the Czech guy is really good. And him and Sue check are going to be a good, good, you guy. know, so, and that's where the, um, that's where the uh, own goal came from across from the right side. So, it's not – I think Spurs is more down to individual errors and then moments of brilliance. Uh, Sissoko didn't jump for that for that uh, first goal, didn't defend well, and uh, Balbuena got an easy header over him. Davinson Sanchez, obviously, with an own goal. And then Lanzini with a, a world-class strike that no one can really do anything about. Um, and the third goal, you could have argued, you know, maybe they can close him down faster. Yeah. Uh, this and Harry Winks, he he almost closed him down, but whatever, not didn't get there in time. Worldy can't take away. It's from it's just a worldy, and it's just how it is. Um, yeah, yeah. If anything, it's a testament to West Ham's quality that they can uh, make something out of nothing. And I think they'll be a they'll be a threat to a bunch of teams this season. Yeah. Underrated. Anyway, I think Spurs still are going to be very strong. I think Spurs probably have a third third place finish 
in line, low key. I agree, top four. Yeah, top four, third, definitely going to push for it. Probably better than Chelsea. I'm going to say that Chelsea fans will hate me. Spurs are better than Chelsea. Um, I think this season Spurs are better than Chelsea, no matter how many players and how much money Chelsea signed. As a, as a, as a group, as you take the whole squad into account, if you take the tactics into account, and if you take this, the intelligence of the manager into account, Spurs definitely look a lot stronger than Chelsea. Uh, Frank Lampard still has to, to prove, not like he has to prove it to me, but I think he has to prove to, to he has to probably his me. board. I think he's a top two. Probably, probably he has to prove to his own board that, that he uh, can really handle it because his team's, I don't know why, but his teams just seem to mentally collapse or just lose concentration, like, all the time. I don't think he's as tactically astute as people think he is. Anyway, final game, Leicester Villa, for the ones we're going to cover in this podcast. Uh, Leicester Villa, a, definitely a stalemate for most of the game. Both teams, no Vardy, no Pereira for Leicester. Worth noting that. And no indeed either. Anyway, basically – Leicester played very well. They were playing their football. Both teams were really – they didn't have many chances in the first half, and that's a testament to the defensive organization and the good passing for both teams. They weren't really able to get many chances. Kansa and Mings at the back for Villa looked very strong. Leicester, um, Fofana, the French center back, looked like a great player, and Evans was really helping stabilize. Leicester looked pretty good. Villa looked really good. Grealish was having one of his games and he's been having those games constantly now, which is really respectable. And I love mm-hmm. to play favorite to watch play in the league right now. And then all it came down to was a moment of brilliance at the end, 92nd minute or first minute Barkley had a pop after a good passing move from like 25 yards and he scored it. And I was just like, all right, respect. That's how you win these hard, hard fought games. No yeah. is tough for Lester because they can score nothing chances when he's around and he draws a lot of pen. They're going to have to figure out their attacking solution without him because yeah. they didn't really have a focal point. And Ikeanacho is good, but he's, he reminds me of a winger playing at striker. He's not really the guy that you're bouncing the ball off of that your attacking is, revol- is re- revolving around. And when yeah. he came in, he brightened it up a bit, but that's not going to do the job every game. So I think Leicester have stuff to work on. I think Villa are looking great. Only other team, only team to have won their opening four or still have not lost the game. So respect lost slash drawn so respect for that for Villa I think both teams are going to have a good season but I think uh, Villa might have something special going on this season I love watching Grealish I love watching Barkley play and Watkins is a good player Trezeguet is putting in his work Louise and McGinn are good their back line is very strong all around and Hemi Martinez bro top three keepers in the league at the moment in the last in the last very informed six months Martinez has been a top three keeper in the league yeah I think, um, yeah, you make great points there, and I pretty much agree with them all. Uh, Barkley, he's he's proven that he can hit one from range, and uh, he can pull he can pull a, a joker out of his back pocket and just or an ace up his sleeve as whatever you want to say. And he has he has class, and I think uh, he was good at Everton, inconsistent, good at Chelsea, didn't get many runs in the team. Um, Chelsea fans are very harsh, and they, but I always rated him. Um, now he has a chance to be in a. Uh, I think people questioned his move to Villa, saying, why is he going to this team? But if you actually look at Villa, they were only – yet last year they – there was a lot of pressure on their shoulders to stay up. And they st- they stayed up. Yeah, but they really – that's the other respectful part for me. Last year they looked like a side that really should have gone down. They played abysmal football, and they should have they – they had a VAR decision that was wrong that kept yeah. the, the one point. It was the goal. It was the ball that won the goals. 
And you can say that they're really lucky for that, and they are. Um, and the interesting thing is they have a lot of the same players as last year. Just it seems that they've just raised their level in key areas, and they got a few key, a few new players, but they still have a lot of the players that were there from last year. Um, they have – and Mings is good. Uh, McGinn would have had a really good game. Grealish, obviously, class. Trezeguet, good. Barkley, good. Um, and Ollie Watkins, obviously. He, he, You know, I was watching him, and he seems oh, really – uh, He up. seems really, um, yeah. you know, really impressive and just, like, the way he strides and the way he walks, it just looks – Yeah, he's a – He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be – He is the heir. He doesn't seem to – He doesn't seem to just be – running for no reason he seems to have intelligence behind all his decisions and just it's a hat trick against Liverpool obviously you're going to notice and then he seems to just make right decisions um I think Villa and Leicester will both be um fighting for in around maybe the top a, spot, my opinion a, definitely top half maybe ninth to edging for that seventh place Europa spot maybe Leicester uh will go for the sixth and I don't know about Villa they need to prove a little more but um, looking good. So I think both both teams are top half quality. Yeah, I think yeah. football is a very psychological game, and once you know a team has an attacking threat as such with Villa, you are not going to ruthlessly attack them so much. I think last season no one saw Villa as having any type of attacking threat. They had Wesley up top. Who they had Grealish. It was basically Grealish yeah. make magic or nothing. Yeah, it was Grealish having his moments, and that's it. Now they know they can get punished. Teams aren't going to ruthlessly attack them anymore. So auto. Already, Villa has the advantage of, all right, we can actually try to build attacks now, and we don't have to focus on trying to defend and just counter-pressing the whole time. Yeah. You know, which is, I think they struggled with last year because every team knows, all right, they have a weak, one of the weaker defenses in the league on paper, which they did. They were starting El Mohamedy at right back. Matty Cash is a huge signing. Huge. Yeah. Um, that's small things, those gaps. They had. Mount I mean, Martin. signing Matty Cash and Emmy Martinez already, you know, adds a level and a half to their defense, uh, especially the goalkeeper. I mean, I'm sure he's going to have a lot of moments this season where he just he just saves, saves them, the saves them a goal, and he's and great build up at the back. He can pass out of the back so well now. Anyway, yeah. it's got to be the pod. It's been a while, but love to hear more recommendations. How to make this better? Because for the first time, it'll be interesting. But it's been fun. We like talking about football, so it's always going to be a blast. Um, yeah. Um, thanks yeah. for thanks for tuning in. If you got here, uh, you're a real one. Let us know how we can improve. Um, we talked about the Liverpool game for a while, and that was just because it was so dramatic. But we got Liverpool uh, we'll, forward, so like you know, it's just how it is. We'll try to uh, we'll try to diversify and give every team their their due yeah, um, respect. So, all right, football intellectual, y'all know the vibe. Enjoy the rest of the night. If you're in America or whenever this pod drops, you know what? Just enjoy your day. We out. Thanks.